0: If you're law enforcement, stop and listen to me right now. If you're a police department that does not have an LPR system, Insight is offering the first 10 agencies, that means one agency apiece, gets one camera for free. You have to tell them that two cops, one donut sent you. You heard me right. If you're a police agency that does not have an LPR system yet or does have an LPR system and you're not happy with the product you have, Insight is offering you a free camera no strings attached, and they will install it. I have 10 to give out. Tell them two cops one donut sent you or reach out to me and I will get you in contact. If you're a business owner or an HOA, please stop and listen to me right now. If you're just listening to the audio, do yourself a favor and watch the YouTube version of this episode to get a visual of what I'm about to tell you. I want to tell you guys about Insight LPR. It's a license plate reader. If your agency, community, or business is looking to invest in LPR to help solve and deter crime or to to make your community safer, Insight LPR has my vote of confidence. I've met with their team. They know their LPRs, guys. Uh, they're the real deal. They bring over 75 years of collective experience to building LPR cameras and the software that supports communities across the country. The other thing I really like about this team is how much they listen to law enforcement. They understand the importance of working together with law enforcement and getting their input as they build and innovate products and their service to match the needs of law enforcement. In other words, when I complain or have suggestions to make their damn camera better they actually do it the insight lpr team is extremely passionate and takes pride in their product development which makes their cameras some of the most durable cameras in the market for the gear nerds out there what that means is this stuff's made of military grade aluminum and is nitrogen purged whatever that means this design makes the cameras rugged and able to withstand harsh weather elements. here's the big selling point for me their nighttime scan accuracy is higher than most of the leading competitors in my opinion this is what sets them apart as we know the majority of crimes occur at night, so it's critical to have high-scan accuracy at night. Insights cameras check the box with the nighttime plate read accuracy greater than 96%. 96%, guys. That's pretty freaking high. If your community is looking to invest in LPR technology, reach out to one of their experts today, or reach out to me. Tell them Two Cops, One Donut sent you. Coming up next on Two Cops, One Donut.
1: During Floyd and after the Floyd stuff, I saw that we just, there was a need for yeah building bonds with the community, but I, I also saw a bigger need internally where, like you talked about earlier we we don't do a great job of training up the next guy the next yeah. guy up it it most of the time it falls solely on like in your case if you you're you're a passionate guy you know you you go after things, but we you and I can agree that that's that's not always the case with guys and girls right. that we work with, you know yeah so if they don't have that internal drive. Or maybe they do, but they just don't vocalize it as much as you or I do. I mean, yeah. nobody's gonna ever accuse me of not saying what I feel I need to say, type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I just saw that. I saw how it affected officers. You know, when, when it came to talking about the Floyd stuff again, um, and I saw that we we talk about this brotherhood, but what are we really what are we really doing about it?
0: All right. Welcome back Two Cops, One Donut. I'm your host, Eric Levine. Today I have with me a friend, a mentor, uh, all around good cop uh, in my experience, maybe not other people's, but uh, Rick Richard Mendoza. How you doing, buddy?
1: I'm doing great, buddy. Glad to be here. We
0: finally got you on here.
1: I know we've been trying for a while. Yeah, we've
0: talked about this for quite some time. Yeah, I me, mean, I'm just adjusting so I can lean forward. I was giving Rick all the uh, instructions on how the mic works and all that stuff because told him how over the time he's actually listened to me gripe and complain about all the issues I have with the podcast and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, one of the things is getting people to talk into the mic and how close you really got to be to get good sound out of it and all that. So I was explaining all that stuff, and I think I got you paranoid now. I know I'm looking at this thing, kind of scared of it. But. <laughs> <laughs> of all the mics, though, these are the most aesthetically pleasing, in my opinion. Because most of them is just a a black like foamy thing over top of it, and I think yeah. these look these look cool. Can you um,
1: make my voice like Matthew McConaughey's or something? Um, do that. Let me see. I could actually
0: make your voice. Um, let's see. We could do. <laughs> we could both talk like that at the same time. So, um, I never use the soundboard. The only person I've really used it with was spragans cuz he kept telling me to hit it. So, cuz it's got all sorts of fun things you nice. can do. Yeah. I never use it though. <laughs> ain't Howard Stern he ain't trying to do all the soundboard stuff. But um, well, sir, so you're uh just so people are wanting to know what this episode's going to be about. Um, Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Rick's background, what got him into a life of service when it comes to law enforcement, and then we'll get into um, the main part, which is going to be um, uh, mentorship, um, both uh, professional and spiritually guided uh, through the police department, Um, Mm -hmm. and we'll get into the specifics. I don't want to speak for his vision that he he actually started and got going so um which is i think it's going well i Um, mean it's definitely grown since we started and all that but um we're getting ahead of ourselves so uh first and foremost sir you are are you a texas native i am fort worth native um okay went went to
1: a high school there in fort worth uh can I name the high school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Arlington Heights. Arlington Heights. I'm kinda of proud of it because we won a state championship. Wait a second.
0: There. It's called Arlington Heights and it's in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? Right there.
1: That's a good question. The neighborhood, the neighborhood around it's the Arlington Heights area.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, that's confusing for a non Texas, especially a person that lives in Arlington. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so
1: Yeah, it's um it's right there like thirty Hewlin. Yeah,
0: yeah. 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 So. Okay. So you do that. Um now growing up, like You grew up in Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: I grew up near the
0: stockyards. Oh, okay. So you on the north side. Definitely a cowboy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Growing up there, now, what influences did you have that got you into law enforcement? Did you?
1: You know, it's. uh, I I have a long lineage of family members that have been at this uh, place for a while, but I think for me, it was more. You know, I, I can say that I honestly had a call, a call to it at an early age. I remember actually writing a paper in high school about being a, wanting to be a police officer. So it's something that I think was calling me even if, even if I didn't have the, all the family that I have that have worked for police department.
0: Yeah. The, the place we're speaking of, we both work for and, um, for a while his family was basically known as the mafia of the police department and (laughs) because when he says he had family there it wasn't just like my uncle works there it was like my uncles my dad my grandpa my brothers my (laughs) yeah i (laughs) think um
1: i I lose count but i think an, an aunt of mine uh made us a flag that i keep in my office and at the time which was about 5 years ago and I think one or two family members less we had almost 250 years of
0: service amongst wow. our family. Dang. Just law enforcement? Just law enforcement. Yeah. yeah. Man, it, you got us beat big time. I just I had my dad and then I mean I've had people in service but um as far as police work goes I don't know many people past my dad. I don't know, I think I don't any. We had military definitely. Um firefighters but uh not a lot of police. Yep. Surprisingly so being from Flint. Either <laughs> should have been part of the problem or part of the solution. And not many were more part of the solution, I guess. Uh all right. So you, you got all this family and influence and stuff. You had the calling. Do you think it was influence? Because one of the things I'm trying to get citizens to understand is there's these general generalized themes of call to service. Mm-hmm. It it's always a trauma that caused it it's influenced by family members i think um and there's some other generalized things that people typically get drawn to this career field so for you it was
1: i I think if you said if it was any of those it was definitely family and watching watching uncles and other family members just do the job and having respect for them you know knowing who they were as people Um, yeah you know because i think i agree with you were exposing how the human side of who we are is, is key because I think that's how you build bridges with community members is, you know, we can talk a big game, but unless we're backing it up with action. Yeah. Um, and that's what I saw with my family. I mean, I I saw uncles that would literally pay for cars for folks that they knew were in need or just did a lot of stuff without ever wanting recognition for it.
0: Yeah. The um, one of the things I noticed about myself was I was, you know, we'd have family reunions and stuff like that. And I was always stepping back and noticing who everybody liked to swarm around. And it was always the military first responders in our family. And Mm -hmm. I was like, was it maybe it was attention seeking? I don't know. As a kid, I, I, I didn't, I don't know what the cause was, but I was just like, they're the most respected in the family. They're the ones everybody goes to when they're in trouble, when they want to have a laugh, when they want to do whatever it is. So that's. I want that same family respect, I guess.
1: You know, and and saying that there was an uncle that, um, you know, at at family functions was just kind of that guy where everybody gravitated to him. He'd sit at the table and he loves hot sauce. So he'd always be, (laughs) he'd be eating and just pouring sweat out. And, but just who he was as a person. I mean, you're you're like, I want to be like that guy one day. Yeah. And, And he wasn't the one that rose to the top, top levels. I mean, although I've had a, a ton of respect for that person. I, I think it was the one that was more of the, I guess the
0: life of the party type that I was thinking.
1: Of. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, my dad on his side of the family, he's the, he's the one he's the, everybody wants to hang out, talk to. And I'm just, <laughs> my dad looks at me and he's like, what happened? Like <laughs> you didn't step up, and follow my footsteps the same way. Um, no, I'm just playing dad. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I think that that's definitely a reason why um, a common theme, I think, for getting drawn to our, to law enforcement, maybe fired, whatever first responder life is, you see that recognition that the family gives as at a young age to those people. And that's the draw. That's the draw to it. So that that's the calling part for me, because I knew as a kid, it's like, I'm gonna be a cop. It wasn't specifically because of my dad. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and, people automatically assume it was because my dad was a cop and I'm like, no, it was a part. But, um, I was honestly, there a moment for you? Was it like a time or an age even? <sighs> yeah, because actually, yeah, there was, um, I thought for a long time I was going to be a firefighter. My grandpa was a firefighter mm-hmm. and, uh, chief, all that good stuff. But before he had reached that level, we had, I just remember he got to put lights on his truck, his personal truck. Always had a radio playing like a, you know, to hear the the calls going out for service and stuff. And I remember, you know, if I was with him, if I just happened to be with him in the truck and a fire went out, I got, we were lights and sirens in his personal truck to the firehouse. And I was like, that is the coolest thing ever. (laughs) Well, I got stuck with him on a call and there was nobody at the firehouse to keep an eye on me. I was probably six or seven, maybe eight. And so I had to go to the call with him. Now he didn't do the fire truck. He was the um, medical van. He would ride in the medical van. He'd done his time and then the truck, he doesn't mm-hmm. do that anymore. So uh, I remember riding in the passenger seat and we get to this big old fire. I could feel the heat from across the street still in the van. Like it was intense. I remember how hot that felt. And then the back to, you know, the, the double doors open in the back and I, hear my grandpa like don't look back here of course i'm gonna look back there you know and before i looked back there i was like what made me look was a smell it's like oh what is that you know as a kid and i look back there and it's a girl like slightly older than me burned bad and i was like f this I didn't, <laughs> I didn't say that as a kid Oh, um, actually at that age I probably did but uh i was like uh no no i don't i can't do this that's disgusting and that's you know horrifying all that good stuff. So I didn't know how I wanted to serve, but I know that at that moment firefighting was out the door. Mm-hmm. And then I started, I had a cousin who was a state trooper, a female state trooper. So there was that influence. And my dad was a cop and I think that was the moment. I just didn't realize it at the time, but that was the flip of if it ain't firefighting, it's going to be police work. It was going to be one of the two. Um, I just didn't know what capacity. Now, did you always know you wanted to be a city cop?
1: No, no. I mean, I think that that definitely was a big family influence was the, the city cop thing. Cause I, I think early, even early in my career, I had aspirations to go like DEA or something like that. Three letter
0: agency, right? Yeah. I was the same way. Yeah. Like yeah. I thought when I was getting out of the military, I was like, I gotta go, I gotta keep my federal time was what I was thinking. And I had a very uh, naive outlook or understanding what they do Mm -hmm. and most of those three-letter agencies no knock on them but the things i pictured it be doing is what city police do at a major department they don't do that these three-letter agencies they rarely get to do the stuff i'm i had pictured in my head yeah so i was going for the prestige versus the actual job and then when i finally figured out who's doing what and and got to see it firsthand. The city police life was definitely,
1: yeah. I think it's the same for me. I went to narcotics fairly early in my career. I think it was less than five years on, and I went over there, and started working with a lot of those guys, and and saw that we had the freedom and the ability to do a whole lot more with a lot less paperwork. Yeah, and be a lot more effective. um And un- unfortunately for them, that they get tied up in so much paperwork most of the time.
0: Yeah. So you're you grew up in Fort Worth. Um- and you're getting to the age where you can start working and doing all that. Now, do you go after this right at 21 years old? How so, how long did you uh, wait?
1: So my dad, my dad, um, he's one of, there's nine family members and there's six brothers. Um, two of his brother, actually three of his brothers were, worked for our same department. Uh, two of which retired from, from our department. And my dad is a mailman or was a mailman. He retired a few years back. Okay. And when I was either 19 or 20 right in that age range i got a job at the post office
0: federal job baby. yeah
1: so i and I, you know those benefits that come along with that the pay wasn't bad yeah. and so you know i'm 21 i remember they put out you know that they're going to start applying and you know that they need the need for officers or whatever recruitment and i remember talking to my dad and i was like dad i don't i think i, I think i like what i'm doing you know i I can be a mailman. You know, that's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, he's like, it, it was like a five minute conversation. And my dad, he's, he's an action guy. He's, he's not really a guy that's going to give you a whole lot in conversation, but you know, he's a worker. I mean, he, I've, 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 my dad's a great example of just working hard, keeping your nose clean. That's something he often says. But with that, with that said, he just looked at me and he said, dad, or I said, son, I'm going to, um, you, you've never wanted to be a mailman. He's like, just, <laughs> Stop yeah. stop messing around and go apply. So telling uh, them they're being loud. Trying yeah, to my wife tends to be
0: that way. It's okay. But um so it, your dad, is that what he's always wanted?
1: He's he's just a he's a man of few words and he leads by example. So I um when he had that conversation, it really it wasn't anything deep that he said other than this isn't what you wanted to do you didn't you didn't yeah. sign you know mailman's never been what you wanted for a career he said just go do what you want to do um so that little bit of a push was really all it took i mean i knew i wanted to do it it's just it's that fear of commitment that i think we all have as young mm-hmm. men especially
0: yeah and at your age you guys were delivering on horseback most of the time <laughs> 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 sorry <Yeah.
1: laughs> I had to take a shot i did get bit by a dog when i did that did you really though. Take a guess on what kind of dog?
0: Uh pit bull. No, it wasn't that cool. Oh no, Chihuahua? Little little weenie
1: dog. A little weenie. Oh. Little weenie little dog.
0: Little
1: <laughs> So I started delivering in the Como area. Okay. And I got like the big dogs that you just talked about. I remember one day we did have those wasn't a horseback, but those little jeeps. You remember those um, Oh yeah. Like yeah, military they, jeeps like or whatever. Yeah. yeah, it was a willy. Yeah. Um, You could start those things with anything like a little master key lock or whatever. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, had a Willie and was in Como and because there's a lot of vacant houses in that area, I would, you'd have to, they call them swings. And so your normal swing in a neighborhood that's populated is about a block long. On Como, we're like three blocks long. And so you're walking up that three blocks, walking back to your car. And I think I was about a block and a half from, from the Willie and I saw these dogs looking at me and they start like kind of bumping the fence. Oh no. And bam, man, it opened. And (laughs) (laughs) luckily I had about a hundred yards. It felt like I had 10 feet, Yeah, but I was able to like make it to my Jeep hop on top. I don't, I think it was in a leap, which I don't have hops, but I was able to get on top of (laughs) that thing. With a big old bag. (laughs) Yeah. Before, before those
0: dogs got a piece of me. Oh shoot, man. I've been stuck on top of my patrol car for 20 minutes. Because the the pack of hood, you know, Mm -hmm. when you're for those that don't know Como, the area he's talking about is a, it's a low economic, yeah, yeah, it's a hood and um, high crime area. Well, oftentimes a lot of those dogs get abandoned and dropped off places, and because they can't take care of them anymore, and the dogs pack together, Mm -hmm. so you'll get like little Chihuahuas running around with pit bulls and some weird golden retriever mix, and it just is. I call them the, the hood packs you'll mm-hmm. see these hood packs run around.
1: Well, oftentimes it's a small one that's leading them. The oh yeah,
0: thing. for sure. And then, um, I get, I get done with a, a call and it wasn't even was I was at the call, maybe five minutes. And I was like, Oh, it's easy. So I'm standing outside my car. I'm leaning against the trunk. I remember that I was in a crown Vic and, uh, leaning against the truck ah. and I'm just writing out some notes. <laughs> I see the, the dogs come from around the corner. I'm like, uh, Okay uh, let's see what they do. And I'm just waiting for them to keep passing. And it was like a movie. It's like, they got past me. And then the one at the very back looked to the right and was like, Hey, <laughs> and all the dogs <laughs> turn around and there's two pit bulls just come running at me. And I'm like, Oh shit. And I'm trying to figure out where to go. So I got the idea to jump on top of the car and I get up on top and I'm standing up and I realized they they can't jump up on the car. They would try. to they just, like slide, they weren't, they couldn't get up there. Mm-hmm. So now I'm on top of the car. I'm like, I ain't calling this out on the radio. I'm like, I'm not being that guy that calls <laughs> and says, I need somebody to come help me. There's dogs got me trapped on my car. I wasn't doing it, so I yeah. sat there. I was like, they'll get bored. So I'm sitting there, sitting there. Twenty minutes go by, and they, it's just then they're pulling on the, the fender <laughs> like with their the pit bulls yeah. pulling on the fender a little bit, and I was like, hey hey hey, don't don't mess with my car. So then I get my pepper spray out and hit a little spray into the wind that was going at them and they, they left finally. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you get trapped by them dogs. Ain't and no the tra- one,
1: the one time I got bit by the little weenie dog, it was, like I said, it was really, didn't anyone tell this story, but it was nothing, <laughs> nothing cool about it. I just, uh, had just dropped the mail in, in front of, you know, it was a little screen door type set up at that house. And yeah. I didn't even hear it. Just was a little silent assassin and came up and <laughs> got me on my calf and I was probably about 30 minutes from being done that day and like you yeah. said I out of pride I did not want to call my boss and say yeah. hey i got bit and they rank come out with the nurse or whoever they would have brought out to kind of heal my wound yeah i I finished the route so I, I finished everything I had to do for the day I go back to the office yeah and I told them I got bit and they're like you you got bit like what coming in the door I was like no about about an hour ago yeah like, and you didn't call us I was like I don't know what to do. I mean, it was a little weenie dog. I didn't. Um, <laughs> what am I going to tell you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, wasn't my pride? Like, it wasn't like I was going to bleed out or anything. It yeah. Was,
0: Did it make you? Ble- Were you wearing pants? No, or, no, I had shorts. It oh. was hot,
1: so I was I was wearing shorts, and it um I had to go. Yeah, get my sh-
0: get sh- get shots and all uh, that type of
1: stuff. Not, I didn't need. I don't think it needed stitches. Yeah, but yeah. Just, Dang. Yeah, those
0: that sucks. Uh, those. <laughs> it's funny because I grew up with a weenie dog, Gidget. Gidget. Yeah, those was our little weenie dog, but yeah, those dog, dog bites are,
1: it can be gnarly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: But I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have told a weenie dog if I got bit by a pit bull, but not the weenie dog. So mm-hmm. you're, you're out delivering. How long, how many years did you do that?
1: So I did it, I think I started in 19. So it was, it was probably just under two years. Okay. So, yeah. Dang. That's, I mean, because it took, um, I started in Como, and that my dad also worked out of the same station as I did. Yeah, and I think that was part of it. You know, yeah. I, I liked I liked working with dad, and you know, yeah.
0: Do, um, you th- do you think being a mailman helped your social skills with the community? Were you talking to people a lot?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I never thought about it, but I I, I was shy growing up. I did not. Yeah. I was not a talker. I did. no. <laughs> so I think it it had to have because that in combination with. I was still 21 when I started here, so if you can't talk on this job, you're not going to be very good at it. Yeah. And, um. It. It. Uh. Yeah. I think the post office definitely did break because you're running into people, talking to a lot of people, mm-hmm. and that that did kind of break that shelf somewhat for me.
0: I think a lot of problems that we run into as cops is that first everybody knows zero to five years is the the hardest time for a cop. That's when they're most likely to get themselves in trouble or just get into some shit uh not necessarily get themselves in trouble but um because you're still trying to figure out you could be the most personable person in the world before becoming a cop you could be a social butterfly i was mm-hmm. and i could talk to anybody but then when you start bringing in that combo of do i have a right to detain this person what are the laws what's being broken here do i have anything do i have the right to even stop and talk to this person like you've got all that running through your head and then you're like oh i gotta watch his hands i gotta You know, where Mm -hmm. is he carrying weapons? This guy, any history, you know, all of these things are running through your head and I don't care how good you're at multitasking. Your people skills go out the window when you have to process all this new information that you never had to process before. And until you get comfortable doing that, which takes, it just depends on your exposure as a cop, but that zero to five years is usually that, that window of getting comfortable enough to now, like you and I, we show up to a call. I ain't thinking about any, I'm like, where's his hands? That's mm-hmm. it. Let me see. his. I can't see his hands. He seems cool. Like I, I'm not thinking about any of that other stuff anymore. Cause I just know it. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's doing what you did as a mailman and then transitioning over. That's, that's a good start to dealing with the public. But again, I try to tell people don't get a false sense of security. Cause you're good at talking to people now and you haven't done the job.
1: Yeah. I think you, it, I obviously know why our, our academy and most academies do what they do and they, it's needed. But, uh, I think it takes a while. Like you said, to form who you are as a person out there and because the public, you know, they only see what they see and they see a lot of times what looks like a robot.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, so. for sure. And that's exactly how I, even I came off that way, you mm-hmm. know, cause I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, sir. Um, Name, date of birth, you know, I knew that one. Okay, cool. All right, sir. So can you tell me? Oh, wait, I need your address, too. What's your address? (laughs) All right, cool. All right, sir. Could you tell me the story? And then they get into this. They start getting, oh, I need your phone number, too.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) And they're like, come on, guy. Like, I'm trying to talk to you here. And like I said, it's just your, it's a skill. It's a skill set. And the quicker you can pick the talking part up, I think the better cop you become. The rest falls into place.
1: That's funny, because, I mean, now I I noticed that. Part of the mentoring side or being a supervisor now that that is something that I pick up. I I just you saying that kind of sparked a thought when I when I compliment and we have to do the weeklies on on these new probationary officers going through training. Oftentimes that's what I'm I'm looking for if they're good communicators. Yeah, I I compliment them and I encourage them to to stay that way. Yeah, you know. Yeah, because um, they definitely I would say just out of every ten probably less than 50% of them come out of there where they're not robotic. You know, that's yeah. it's pretty rare. It's probably two out of mm-hmm. two or three out of 10 that have good communication skills Yeah, that show early in training.
0: And it oftentimes, not every time. So don't get offended. Most of the time they're a little older, mm-hmm. um, more life experience. Uh, I, I like personally, I like seeing new cops come in at like 28. Mm-hmm. Or higher. Like I I those always they're the easiest to work with.
1: Oh, um, I don't I agree. I don't I don't think I had any business starting <laughs> at twenty one. I said the same thing.
0: I was like, <laughs> if you would have asked eighteen year old me if I was ready to be a cop then, I would have told you, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Not only am I ready, I'll kick ass at it. Mm-hmm. Like and now, you know, almost forty year old me, I look back and I'm like, you weren't ready at twenty five. Like I was too immature. Uh my priorities were way different Mm -hmm. you know i wasn't ready and then
1: i actually was on the bubble of not making the cut at that age because on my review board one
0: of um, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by impact tactical impact is a tactical outfitter for the men and women of our military police fire departments and other public safety around the country impacts core beliefs is that fearless men and women protect our freedom and safety should have access to the best tactical performance apparel equipment and tools on the market and they shouldn't have to go broke to get it. I've used impact for about 11 years and I can attest that they do live up to their core values. So you get a personal recommendation from me. You can find them at impacttactical.com. That's M-P-A-K tactical.com. And be sure to tell them that Two Cops, One Donut sent you.
1: One of the main decision makers on the review board, had, I guess, wrote up saying that I was too immature at that time. And uh, it actually kind of drove me really early in my career. Yeah. Like the, I'm going to show that person. <laughs> 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 but, uh, it, you know, it. I'm a competitive guy, so I think that, yeah. That definitely helped, but i'll I will say that that person looking back at it now as a mid forties guy yep i uh, I'm like that that person was right. I was too young and yeah, too young and dumb to yeah. to have the authority that I had back then. I know. You know it's
0: crazy it's crazy, all right, so you get into the police department, and what was your idea of what type of cop you wanted to be? Were you going to be a sWAT guy? were you going to be like what path did you have chosen when you first got in?
1: so i i had a older cousin that started a few years before i did and um as a kid i loved hide and go seek so i just loved that little, that game of hide and go seek i um narcotics always intrigued me from that aspect so any being a narcotic officer is something that i strive to be i wanted to go to a side of town that i knew had a, that issue you know that you're gonna run into folks that you pulled over that were maybe leaving a dope house or something like that so I, I did go over to a lower income side of town with the hopes of um getting into narcotics. And,
0: okay. Yeah. So, all right. Walk me, walk me uh, through your career. Cause how long so, have you been a cop?
1: So now um I've been a cop for 23, a little over 23 years. I started at 21. I guess I'll date myself. And uh, uh, July of 99 is when we started the police Academy graduated at that time. It was like a six month Academy. So we, graduated in December of 99 and, um, the police department, the the powers that be back then. And I don't blame them again, but they didn't have enough faith that on Y2K, which was only Uh. about a week removed. My first day on the streets was Christmas day of 1999. Okay. Well, a handful of days into the job, they either assigned us to the jail. They didn't let us go with our field trainers that, that on new year's Eve. You know, they were, with the big fear of Y2K and everything shutting yeah. down and whatever. So they didn't want a bunch of rookies out there like messing things up. So we were either at the jail that night or me and a buddy who's still still around as well. He, him and I had to guard the front door communications for a shift on, <laughs> on the night of Y2K. No yeah.
0: shit. I remember Prince's performance that night. I don't <laughs> know why. It was such a, it'd be such a powerful performance, I think, just because of.
1: Where are you like in diapers still?
0: Shoot. You what, five years older than me? <laughs> you're the one I was talking about <laughs> age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I uh I remember Prince's performance that night. It was awesome. But uh rest in peace, Prince. Yeah. Formerly known as he was a great artist. Yeah, he was a good dude. Um all right, so you're you get cut loose, Y2K. Uh-huh. Um
1: Then I go I'm in on the south side of Fort Worth. Or I actually trained in and down in the downtown area, because okay. back then Adam District. Okay. So I trained in Adam District, um, and then got cut loose. Now that it seems like they try to keep them on the same side of town, but uh, that was considered north side back then. We didn't have a, a middle or a central division. Okay. Um, but from there, when I got cut loose, I I went to uh, South Side.
0: Oh, all right. Yeah. And how long did you do in patrol?
1: I was in patrol about three and a half years. All right, but that. I stayed in patrol because i um funny story but i i was an n p o early on in my career neighborhood officer community officer but i really didn't want to be it was just that a certain sergeant who's now retired wanted he he knew i played baseball growing up so he he had a very competitive softball team <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and, so he, uh, he ringer. he recruited <laughs> me and a couple other guys that uh uh he actually we we he just we became NPO's to go play softball with them.
0: All right. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a community service yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> you should. Uh, uh, so you didn't do your time at patrol. I so three and a half years, but yeah, I mean, no. now that's like a lot. But you know? to be fair, back yeah. then the NPO's mission was a, still very much patrol oriented.
1: Well, that's that was the other major reason that I was like, cool, I'll do it. Because, you know, there's benefits like a a vehicle that you have that you don't have in patrol. So yeah, or at least in our department. Um, so getting that vehicle and that, that was on, uh, I was on a side of town again. I don't know I can say side sides of town, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. It was on the East side of Fort Worth. So on the East side, I knew if I'm an MPO over there, I had my beat was an area that had a a bad drug problem. Yeah. So again, my goal was to get to narcotics. So back then I kind of, um, I use that as I had more free time to be able to just set up on dope houses. Yeah. And uh, start
0: learning your craft,
1: start learning the craft.
0: Yeah. And for those listening, like there's, there's, there's a process that officers start to learn when it comes to finding narcotics and, and learning how the criminal enterprise works and how there's dope houses and trap houses, whatever you want to call them and how they run the dope, how, a dealer, a spotter, all these, there's just all these, if you ever really want to learn, watch the wire. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a, it's a, it's fairly true story. I don't don't want to some of it's probably Hollywooded up a little bit, but to this day, it still applies.
1: No, and that's why I I never finished on that Easter or I'm sorry, hide and go seek thing. Oh, I'm sorry. But no, we just got off into something else, but (laughs) I, but that's what I would do. I mean, I would, i get a pair of binoculars or sometimes if I didn't have the binos, I just would get, Literally, sometimes, often in some bushes, where you're just watching. I had a at a little convenience store that they loved a pocket deal in front of uh, um, hand-to-hand transactions. So if I if I saw that pocket deal go on, and then the big thing was to I, I learned this early on. I always think of like that movie Colors, where yeah, Robert Duval's talking yeah. to Sean Penn about how to how the bulls the walk bulls yeah there. yeah. <laughs> I had to learn it that way. I mean, I you know you 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 rush up and. Yeah. Nobody has anything. Yeah, they don't have anything in their pockets. They've, they've put it somewhere else. So yep. I had to learn that over time. Like, okay, you saw that, but where is he going to, where's he before and after? Yes. And, uh, that was always cool. Once I learned that, I was like, man, I, they, uh, it was like Easter egg hunting at that point. Yep. It'd, it'd be off in trees. It'd be under some rocks, under a brick. And yeah, you know, it was always that feeling like when you found yeah. it, it was just like that proud moment yep. where you're like. Gotcha. So if
0: you're not familiar with some of the tactics in dealing narcotics, one of the things they'll they'll do is somebody will come up to the, the dealer or the runner, the guy that's just a money person, and they'll give him money for the dope. And that person will go over to the dealer and say like, yep, he's good. Well, the dealer has either already put it somewhere or goes and puts it somewhere. A lot of times I'll see him put it in a chip bag, like an empty Doritos bag. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll go, put some dope in that bag and they'll set that bag on the ground somewhere and then tell them like your dope's over there. And he's got his money. He's never, you never see him with the drugs technically, you know? Mm -hmm. And then now that person goes over and picks a piece of trash up off the ground and they got their narcotics and that's one of the tactics they use. So, and it's, it's been effective since (laughs) since the seventies, I'm sure. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's just one of the things you start to look for.
1: So really that's, that's how I was able to get to narcotics was a lot of that. A lot of, uh, as NPOs back then, which they don't really do anymore, but back then we would, we would do, uh, what we call jump outs. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, buddy. We had like this little old like child molester style van. It just what it looked like. It was, it was like <laughs> Free a, puppies. Inside. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was just some raggedy van that we would all ride around in and, um, you know, it definitely didn't look like anything the department owned. Um, yeah. So we would uh, we would do jump outs. I mean, we knew where our, our problem areas were. And most of the time when we just open those side doors, run, you're going to get a handful of, of folks run from you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, that, the, doing stuff like that, we ran some warrants back then. I, I remember going through entry school. Uh, and definitely things did not go as planned on, the, on my first search warrant. I mean, yeah, you got a group of MPOs, Half of us in like bike shorts, and <laughs> you know, and just, just the bad news bears. I mean, cops I think a few out. of us wore helmets similar to that. I mean, it was, <laughs> <laughs> it, was uh, it wasn't, wasn't top notch gear, but we the first time the first one we ran, um, an officer was actually I think through marriage or something where the he was somehow related to the house we were actually running on. Oh, so he it wasn't like a a direct bloodline it was like his wife's cousin or something like okay. that. okay so he did not want to drop us off he was the driver he's like i can't i can't get no care you know that house. See me
0: yeah
1: and he's like i'll have to drop y'all here he dropped us with you know you have that you have all your entry gear and we were probably uh, the ram and everything else about about a half a block off at least oh jesus yeah by the time all we the got pigeons are flying <laughs> by the time we got to the door we're so worn out but yeah, yeah before we even hit the door but uh that's funny. Uh, need, need to say, it wasn't very successful. And I remember telling the guys on the, I was like, this ain't how, how it's supposed to go. I just got trained. This, we're not supposed to get dropped off two blocks from from the spot. Yeah. You
0: know? the, the young uh, up and comers telling everybody how it's supposed yeah,
1: to be. They, they, and they just pretty much looked at me just like that. Yeah. It's like Duvall teaching Sean Penn, like, just shut, shut your mouth. Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, how long did you do the, did you get into the official narcotics team? Mm-hmm. Now you got in through yeah, I got, being an MPO.
1: Yeah. Cause I mean, back then it was, I mean, I'm sure like now you, you had to be able to show through paperwork that, you know, you made those types of arrests that you had the stats to back up, you know, why you wanted to go over there. So, um, okay. about how
0: long did you do in narcotics itself?
1: I was there five years. I was there until I promoted. Um, cause it was about f- almost five years into the job when I got over there. So, I did it for about five years because I'd always told myself before I'd even want to take a test. I wanted 10 years on the job. Yeah. Uh, a promotional test.
0: Now, looking back reflection wise on chasing dope and all that stuff, has your opinion of doing it changed?
1: So I do think that us, when it comes to the lower level style deals, I, there's a lot of risk, uh, and like your. are your pocket level, your street dealing dealer, um, type transactions. So it's a risk reward thing. Um, I I don't, I think that back then I loved doing that style of work. Uh, but look hindsight, like as a supervisor now, I would try to, if I didn't, I would try to tell guys that there's a different way of doing it. So I I think there's too much risk involved for the reward or what you're going to see or how much that benefits even the community that the problem's in, you know, if that makes sense. There's other ways to address it, is what I'm saying. Right.
0: Yeah, I, I found a lot of people, um, you know, they chase dope for as long as they do, and then later on in their careers, they're just like, you're, you're, you know, you're stomping an ant. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the ant hill still, just another ant's gonna pop out, and you're just sitting there trying to kill every single ant one by one. Yeah, because right?
1: your your dad, I think your dad was in. Yeah. Over there as a supervisor, I think when I when I went over there, he was there during the time frame that I was there. Yeah, and I could see your dad saying that what yeah. you just said. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you take one dealer and other ones, you know, you just cut the, the head off the snake is yeah. all it is. And uh, I've seen many get they flip their their mindset when it comes to that. And then the question is like, all right, what do you do? What's the right move for the community?
1: I think when it comes to street level dealing, it's it's kind of it's surveillance is probably more effective than than running on gathering Intel and in, doing mm-hmm. all that. I agree. and then trying to work something a little bit bigger. Yeah, for,
0: that's where I get into the real-time crime center stuff. That's where I really like that coming in because you can set up cameras and hotspots. Mm-hmm. that's community concerns, and you can say, "Hey, look, this is what we can provide, assuming the community's behind that idea." You know, you show them the the fruit of that, and um, gather all that intel, and then you just you let the the specialized units come in. You know, your I don't even know what to call the specialized units anymore; they change their name so much. But uh, your zero tolerance teams, whatever you'd like to call them, they come in and they just you get all the warrant roundup going and mm-hmm. pick them off and keep them. Yeah, off I mean, you,
1: I think using technology to our benefit is is where you want to go with that moving forward. and I think that's where most At least bigger city police departments are going towards. Oh, for sure.
0: Yeah. It's safer. It's more effective. Mm -hmm. It's more efficient. Um, Rather than having, you know, three UCs sit up, set up on a place for however long you've got two cameras, three cameras with one person monitoring Mm -hmm. and you, that's a force multiplier that, you know, that keeps everybody safe. Mm -hmm. Nobody's in the area. You wait for that person to leave. You knock them down way well out of the area. and.
1: For anyone that's going to be listening, uh, Eric's really good at that. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I
0: love that stuff, man. That's yeah, definitely where I'm guiding my career, but it's new. It was not a thing. It wasn't a thing when you were coming up. So um, I've been in policing now going on 18, 17 or 18 years. And
1: how long did you do it in in Michigan?
0: So, yeah, and I've been here 12. Wow. So, yeah, been doing it a while. It's fun. I still yeah. like it. Yeah. Not as long as you, but I didn't get in the game as early as you did. So I waited a little yeah, bit Let's long. clarify
1: that. We're only like three years apart. <laughs>
0: Why do I look so much younger than you? Come on. It just... is.
1: Let's ask our wives. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> I look weathered. Um, no. So, all right. So you get into that. You do your narc thing. You promote. Mm-hmm. So you become a detective. Um, did you have any, was it, was it a stepping stone or was it something you wanted to do?
1: Um, detective work for me was more of a stepping stone, especially once I got over there and saw as far as the great thing about narcotics back then. And I'm assuming now is that you, you got to do, you know, your mid level style investigations where you were writing papers, you know, you were serving search warrants. I mean, back then a lot of times we were serving the warrants we wrote, but it, but i I think I learned I learned a lot while I was in there, so when I went to the detective office, it felt like I was just pushing paper
0: uh yeah. yeah, yeah, I see that um I got lucky uh i got to be um i maybe did a full year in general assignment and then I got to do um the property crime stuff, and that was. That was as close to old school police work as I can I can think of. Mm-hmm. Because now I got a team, we're writing warrants, we're out in the field, we're, you know, getting intel, we're doing UC work. We got, you know, a couple marked units always with us, you know, just out not, you know, getting burglars and thieves off the streets. Mm-hmm. And we were really good. And I say we were, we still are. <laughs> uh and it's fun. Like you stay getting in chases, you But not many people get to experience that as a detective. Um, It's just a different way to do things. Um, But I don't think there's ever been a real standardization when it comes to being a detective. And I don't know if you ran into that. I I found it to be a problem. Um, I got trained by a great detective. Mm -hmm. I got lucky. It was luck of the draw. Because the other detectives that were around me, some of them got trained by lazy detectives that didn't want to do the job. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not their fault necessarily because it was how they were trained. Like, you know, you know how that perpetuates, there really isn't a standardization to train a detective.
1: No. And then, you know, I think, I guess that this may also be a big city police department issue is that it's not only at at that rank. It's that, you know, I'm a Sergeant now and I, and I see that at my level um, and even those levels above me where you kind of, you're as good as the drive that you have. Yep. Also the training that you receive. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to want it. You know, if you, if you just want to go in the detective office and not do a whole lot.
0: Yeah. You sure you can, you can do that. Yeah. 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 Um, so
1: I, but I was, uh, I was only there a year cause I, I, I was just, I was like, I can't do this. It was three years before you could promote again. So, uh, a ZT, a, a zero tolerance, uh corporal position popped oh, up. okay and i i went over there that makes sense yeah, yeah so i went to that for 2 years and i enjoyed that i really did yeah. oh um, that
0: was in the heyday of zero tolerance yeah, too cuz yeah. that was man they were out um for if you're not familiar with like a zero tolerance team they would look at hot spots in the city mm-hmm. and saturate just pull cars over you know go make stop knock and talks so all the different things just just doing enforcement all night long not not subject to call Um, and then if anything big did pop off, they were the tactical team that Mm -hmm. would come out, you know, and, and if they could handle it, they would do it. If SWAT needed to come out, then they would hold while SWAT comes out. But
1: yeah, we were, we were running a lot of warrants back then. Yeah. A lot of warrants. Yeah. God, man,
0: I've, I wanted to do that so bad when I was still in patrol, but then it changed like the whole mission changed for ZT. So,
1: and yeah, we had a. I mean, it was a great team. There's a lot of experience on those, on those teams that I worked a part of a lot of guys have, There's a few guys that left to the three digit, uh, you know, institutions or whatever, but that, I mean, just good, good investigative skills is, I mean, units like that, you're really able to hone your craft. Oh, for sure. And there, and there were some guys in there that if they continued to tack on the tax side, several of them wound up in ZT SWAT, um, SWAT, sorry, SWAT, SWAT. Um, and and then others. We even had a couple of SWAT guys that had done so long in SWAT that they were they were trying to tone it down. Some a SWAT yeah. guy turning toning it down by going to ZT, but, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, so I was able to get the benefit of getting some of those guys that came to our team. And again, it was a it was a great time. I learned a lot when I was in there from you know the tactic tactic side, but um, investigative side. I mean, it was. I guess some bias, but what I'm saying is, I wish it would get back to that a little bit more yeah. of that.
0: Yeah. Huh? You know, it, I think it will. I yeah. think eventually it will have to. Because yeah. you're gonna, you, we adjust and shift to what the public's pushing. Mm-hmm. And if they start pushing this kindler gentler, this is we want to take this offhand approach. Let's see where that goes, and if it if it works, great. Well, then there's really there isn't a reason to go back to having CT. Mm-hmm. But if it's not getting the results you want you're going to have to go back to something you knew worked.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think when they were even as effective as we were, I think the most effective time for that unit was back when they, the old cops days when they were in the, yeah they were wearing the same uniform that we all wear. And they, they were just out there getting it. I mean, yeah. they, they, they just had some young, yeah you know, but it was, I, I don't know. I've to, I've said this, I'm kind of moving forward, but I, I, uh, I've worked with a lot of great, great police officers, um, that it, it's been very rare, if any, honestly, the times that I, I ever ran across a cop that I thought was rogue or just doing things they yeah. shouldn't be doing. I mean, and I've been, had the privilege of being a part of a lot of great units and, and I never saw it. I, I saw us do a, a good job of policing ourselves, you know? Right. And, yeah. So it, uh. So again, I know that takes trust and we got to build that trust and there's things we got to do to be better at what we do. Yeah. But moving forward, I think like you said, everything seems to be secular and we'll, Yeah. I think we'll, it's it's already kind of trending that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We got the violent crime initiative and stuff like that. I mean, that's, what I like that we're doing is we're taking the old school tactics and we're using that new school twist to it with the tech. Mm -hmm. Now we're allowing our saturation units to stay on the outskirts, Mm -hmm. let the tech guide them in. You know what I mean? So they don't have to put themselves in harm's way. And again, we can do things a little more efficiently, effectively, and safely. And that's where the tech comes in. And if we keep doing that, I think we will develop a, a new blueprint for policing that has never existed. Yeah. So that, that's, that's my, my goal, my, um, where I hope things start going towards, I just, you have to get the right leadership to see that same vision and help champion your cause. Cause at my level, it doesn't swing quite as big as if somebody at your level goes, but it doesn't swing quite as big as if a captain, you yeah. know, or a commander gets behind you. You get a commander behind what you're doing, you're golden. So, yeah. Um, just got to get the opportunity. So if anybody out there is listening, give me the opportunity. I can do it. Uh, I just want to catch bad guys and girls. Uh, I, I don't discriminate. Catch them all like Pokemon. But, yeah. uh, okay. So you, you, you do your time as a corporal, um, and you decide to promote to Sergeant. Mm hmm. Now, how did that path go for
1: you? So, uh, that, so I promoted to Sergeant in 2012.
0: Um, the year I got to our department. Mm hmm. That's old school. Right. But, uh, <laughs>
1: You know, I, I think I, I remember as a young officer, I, you know, we all have those guys or girls that we looked up to um, supervisors that were like, we'd just, we'd go to war with, if you will. Um, you know, it, you know, it, so I had those folks in my life and I just kind of always aspired to that, to be the, that, rank or the current rank that I am now, Sergeant. Um, I really enjoy it. Cause like you segued, mentoring is huge at that level. Um, mm-hmm. You're either going to accept it as a supervisor, or, or you're not, and those that don't, I'm, in my opinion, just aren't very good at it. Because I mean, yeah. you have to want to to help your fellow man and or woman. You you have to you have to try to build up that next generation of of officers, or we're going to continue to have issues. I mean, I, um, you know, on the on the community side of things, they only know what they know, and I think that our job is to. As a supervisor, is to try to show that young generation this is how you do it, slow it down a little bit, that Robert Duvall approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but then just mentor and, and, and show them that you don't have to be this robot. The academy has to do what they do. And I think our academy does a great job of it. But once you get out here, you got, to, you know, create who you are, learn from other folks, take the good and the bad. And, yeah. you know, I think that's so. Our jobs as a first line supervisor is exactly that. And you have to pull those ones aside when it, when the time comes that are maybe not going about it the right way. Um, because I've spent three years in this 10 year frame as a sergeant, three of it was in, um, internal affairs. So it's, it's weird. I don't even like saying that, but it's just, <laughs> a, it's a necessary job, but it, but I learned a lot again in that role. Yeah. And, um, but I, what I saw in that position was that a lot of times, and issue, issues officers had that led to investigations by internal affairs were things that could have and should have been addressed. By the
0: supervisor? Early yeah. on. Yeah. I find the, superv- the sergeant position is the most important position in a police department, in my opinion. And I find it is the most underutilized position out there. Currently, like, I think that's the trend. I think there's so many supervisors that just, they show up, they get their paycheck, you know, they, they, they get their, their punch in time and they do what's the the minimum requirements that they are supposed to do so they don't get in trouble. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is, that is such a waste. That is not doing the community any service and it's not doing the officers any service um, because that. Like you said, that is the chance to. I never stop mentoring. I'm Mm trying. I'm I'm training. I shoot. I'll tell sergeants things. I'm like, hey, do you ever consider this? Like, I'm. Yeah, I mean, always training up's a big part of that. Yeah, yeah. I'm always trying to improve myself and people around me. But when you get supervisors that, and they don't do it, and and you you got to start asking the questions. Well, why? Mm -hmm. Where's where's that disconnect starting to happen? And is it because of the public pushback for? Less enforcement. I don't know. Is it people worried that what's happened to other cops in other states and other cities? They're worried that that's going to happen to them. So now you got supervisors who are like I wouldn't do anything. You know.
1: You know. I think it. It. Uh, the key to life, uh, as far as just a simple. I'm a common sense guy. So a, a simple key to life is communication. So I think what happens when it comes to supervisors that haven't haven't had the rank the, the sergeant rank that first line rank for very long, is that there's that fear that sets in, or they hear of some story that maybe occurred or did not occur or was exaggerated, and what actually occurred. um The one thing I try to bring is that time and tenure now and that time and I age just to tell those younger supervisors that it's not like that, you know. I mean, just go out there and do your job, be a fa- you know. Basically encourage, I think I encourage fellow supervisors more than I probably do. Yeah. Officers because officers, they got other officers to kind of, or corporals to, to kind of lean on. Yeah. Um, I try to stay out of their hair for the most part, but with supervisors, I, I enjoy I probably enjoy that the most is, is just showing a young supervisor that, yeah, I may say this in black and white and i and you, these are the reasons why that is there and it needs to be there. But with that said, if you're if you're going about it, and I mean it's real simple, doing the right things for the right reasons, and you can back it up with justification as to why you let a pursuit continue or or whatever. I mean, I, I when I went back to patrol recently, I was asked that in a roll call by by young officers. I mean, they'll put you on the spot nowadays. Yeah, and they're like, "What do you think about pursuits?" It's like, I love them you know yeah. they're like they're funny yeah they're like, <laughs> who doesn't I mean so you're not gonna turn it off i was like there are you're not gonna you know call them off or whatever i was like look we, y'all know what the geos say i mean i know what the geos say what i will tell you is that if you're on a busy freeway at a, at a busy time of day then you're your best judge you know i'm gonna hear it over the air and i'm you know i'm gonna have some, the, the basic questions that i'll have for you but until we until you articulate more over the radio, I'm gonna let it roll for to see what's going on. Yeah, but you you know behind the wheel, the 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 fear, the not the fear, but the the risk factor. Yeah, uh, involved with it, it's a risk reward thing. And in today's world, especially, you know, there's cameras everywhere. So if if the if it's too great of a risk with the technology we have, with cameras everywhere, yeah, uh, with ways that we have of identifying people and vehicles and everything else, then if it's too big of a risk, then it's 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 incumbent upon you as a, as a police officer before it even takes me as your sergeant to call something off to call it off. Yeah. But swallow some pride and call it off, because at the end of the day, it it's a safety thing. If it's going to keep you safe and the public safe. You know, you got to you got to look again at the at the public's expectation for us and, you know, and then also thank you, you know, that if it were to result in something tragic, like a car accident that injured multiple people or, or even caused death, um, you know, you, the, it's a reasonable thing. And and it's not very reasonable to be going down the freeway at rush hour. Yeah. 90 to a hundred. Right. On a, on a traffic violation or something. Yeah.
0: You know? Something that's you, you, I'm sure there's more to it, mm-hmm. but you don't have it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've learned a lot through, my years and just like when you're talking to the sergeants like you one you need to know you need to know your GOs on mm-hmm. that stuff if it's something you're interested in know the GOs yeah. so if you like doing pursuits and you you want to go catch guys then you need to know those GOs inside and out and know what ammo you need to give to your sergeant so he can approve it yeah. because as soon as you start saying stuff and we've dive done it on accident you know like what do you you know what can you see in the car? My sergeant's trying to guide me. Like, mm-hmm. what do you see in the car? I was like, oh, I just see him. Like, you know, it turns out that later on, I find out that there was a kid in the car or whatever. And so I, I see what he's trying to do. But um, that's that's one of the things the officers, they don't hold themselves accountable enough. They want to put it all on the sergeant. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's fair. Um,
1: but I think that's a key for a young supervisor is to, to put it right back on them. Yes. You know, and, that, yeah. and that's what I often do with officers you know they i I give them the freedom we're all adults Mm -hmm. and you know at the end of the day we all want to be treated as such so if you start to micromanage and do all these extra things that aren't necessary i mean it maybe you and your in those are the types of supervisors that i like to ask the question why like why why do you think you need to do X, Y, and Z? And and when we talk it out, a lot of times they're like, "I never thought about it from that side." Or mm-hmm. maybe I mean, there's a lot of times where I learned something from what they're they're telling me. But with with all of that said, I think that you got to do that with your officers as well. I mean, yeah. you, you you have to kind of lay it out there with them, and you know, I, I don't I don't I think even your most your young and most aggressive crime fighting officers that are out there, when you when you phrase it in a way where you're coming with respect towards them. And asking them, you know, out of genuine concern why certain things are happening. It, you'll see that light bulb a lot of times, you know, just yeah. kind of come yeah. on. And so,
0: Yeah, supervisors, is, I think the, the best supervisors, they make their expectations clear and out front. Like mm-hmm. if, if I get a new sergeant, like the first thing I want them to do is like, here's what I'm expecting. All right, cool. And then the next thing they need to do is they need to be able to provide the tools needed to, to accomplish the things that they want. So mm-hmm. if you if you want me out there writing two tickets a day, whatever it is, you know, provide them the tools to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're going call to call, understand, like, I need to give those officers some time to go be free and handle up what, whatever it is. Um, If it's patrol, if it's being a academy instructor or wherever they're at, you need to be able to, as a supervisor, basically provide the tools they need to accomplish the expectations that you have. And as long as they're clearly listed man, there there is no micromanaging. Yeah. You don't need to, you've already made it very clear. This is what I expect. Yeah. And you can't get mad at that. One of my favorite, uh, ball busting supervisors I had was, uh, Raul. And a lot of people were like, like, Oh, I can't stand her. I can't stand her. And I'm like, why? She's very easy to work for. Mm -hmm. She tells you day one, Hey, new guys, (laughs) you know, this is what I expect. Boom. Cool. All right, I I remember asking. I I don't. How do I? I don't know how to do this. Mm -hmm. Like, all right, come here. Let me tell you. This is this is how you do it.
1: I loved her too. I had her as a. I was a new a new sergeant at the time when I had her. She was a lieutenant, and like I said, I give it to me like she did. Like she delivered straightforward and yeah. Let me know how you want me to operate, and most of the time, I mean, she. If you had valid reason, or you know, hey, this Mm -hmm. is. Are you okay with this and that and the other? I mean, she, I never had an issue with her. I think she just, I think, I think folks looked at that, like that she was micromanaging. I didn't, I didn't ever saw it that way.
0: No, I didn't either. And a lot of times it just goes with clashing personality types of people that cops are alphas for Mm -hmm. the most part. And they don't want to be told how to cop sometimes. I don't necessarily think she was telling people how to cop. She's just telling you what she needed Mm -hmm. and you didn't, you didn't want to do those things. And it was too hard for you just to just step up and say, well, it's me. Instead, <laughs> no. it's, it's not her. <laughs>
1: uh, we could talk yeah. for an hour on what you just said. Right yeah, there. I know. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. Maybe too. Yeah. All right. Well, you've been a sergeant since 2012. Since now. When you started. It, right. It, well, when I started at our department. <laughs> uh, In that, there comes the the reflection of your career. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, you got 23 years under your belt. Uh, the drop starts in what, two years for you?
1: Yeah. July, uh, middle of 2024.
0: Okay. Yeah. So with that, you noticed you had this great career, had Mm -hmm. fun. You learned a lot, did the narc side, tax side, um, even IA, which is rare for a lot of people to touch. Um, but you, you got a wealth of experience and, uh, I would consider that well-rounded mm-hmm. So, you can start to notice gaps in policing and what what's lacking what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, all that stuff so you you do that and you come up with this mentoring idea hmm and you'd actually kind of hit me up on it, I think maybe a year before you'd even done it You were one of the original guys on
1: my on my little list, you know a little notepad of guys that I wanted to yeah bring in that you know again it was. It's definitely, I would say, where, where do you, where I see myself going from now until the end of my career, that's my number one focus right now and probably will be maybe even after I retire.
0: Okay. Yeah. So you, what was the, what was the epiphany? So
1: it, um, so, you know, I, you talked about the spiritual side. I, I grew up a, a little Catholic boy on the North side, you know, yeah. and, uh, with
0: as many uncles and stuff that you said you had, that makes sense. I grew yeah. up Catholic too, yeah. so. <laughs> so,
1: um, it, uh, but you know, church was, it's, it's, uh, I've used this joke over and over. I'll use it again. But, uh, pops was, uh, you know, he, he's a cowboy fan. So if the Cowboys were playing at noon, like they did today and they beat your Lions, by the way, but yeah, uh, I, I, don't, I don't really <laughs> expect anything no, different. I, <laughs> it's the lions. Yeah. But, uh, dad knew where we could go and be out by 1130 to be, to be at, be home watching the game by the noon kickoff, you know? So, yeah, you know, he was good about, we well, got there every week, but I, I guess as I've grown older, I was just searching for a bit more mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it was, uh, getting into the mentoring side of things. It's something that I saw, I was in the bike unit during the George Floyd events that, you know, touched our city pretty dramatically as well with the things we saw in our downtown area, the 60 to 70 days or however long it was of, of protests that we had downtown, um, I after during Floyd and after the Floyd stuff, I saw that we just, there was a need for yeah. Building bonds with the community. But I, I also saw a bigger need internally where like you talked about earlier, we, we don't do a great job of training up the next guy, the next yeah. guy up. It, it, most of the time it falls solely on like in your case, if you, you're, you're a passionate guy, you know, you, you go after things, but we, you and I can agree that that's, that's not always the case with guys and girls right. that we work with, you know? Yeah. So if they don't have that internal drive or maybe they do, but they just don't vocalize it as much as you or I do. I mean, yeah. nobody's going to ever accuse me of not saying what I feel I need to say type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I just saw that I saw how it affected officers, you know, when, when it came to talking about the Floyd stuff again. Um, And I saw that we, we talk about this brotherhood, but what are we really what are we really doing about it you know i saw I saw that as a weakness even in my internal affairs days where you know the worst days of my career and there's a lot of bad days there's also been a lot of great days, but some of the bad days were when you knew that somebody was coming in to lose their job, somebody was coming in to turn in their gear, and they're something that they dedicated a lot of times fifteen twenty years of their lives to. Um, that's how they identify they're they're a police officer you know uh, first and foremost most of the time um we what did we do after that i mean we just took their stuff from them and unfortunately we've seen it we've seen the effects of ptsd the the effects of what a traumatic event like losing your you know divorce or um in this case losing your job or whatever can do to a person yeah um i, I just don't think i think it i don't know if I guess smaller departments, that's where it's good to work for a smaller department. They probably do a better job of it because they know each other that much better than probably what we do.
0: Right. You don't Um, get quite as lost in the, in the crowd. Just not a four digit ID. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or three in your case.
1: Uh, (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah. So I, I just saw, I, I worked for a chief um, as an administrative sergeant after I left internal affairs and when i was working for him he he did a he was great did a lot of stuff with our community and really did build some ties on with some of the programs he started or just the you know the friendships that he built and but i remember having those conversations with him i was like chief you're you're doing there's no doubt a great job with all of that but what are we doing about internally about our guys you know i mean yeah. i'm just another sergeant of whatever 200 and whatever however many we have here but I would throw those little those little nuggets his way, and uh, you know it, it's not just on obviously not just on his shoulders to do stuff like that. It's not on me. Yeah. I guess what really the, the why did it occur? Uh, it's just you know the Lord told me he was like it, it. You know if you want it done, then get it done. Um, so he just put that challenge in front of me, and um, that's why the the Catholic thing. What I was talking about is I for me, and that's no. I think when it comes to religion, it's teach their own, and and different religions are going to reach people as long as you have that relationship with him. I think that was the biggest key for me that my wife has always growing, you know, in our marriage. Now we've been married since two thousand and four, so mm-hmm. you're talking about almost coming up on close to twenty years of marriage. You know, um, she would always tell me because she, she, you know, our wives know us best, and she'd say, you know, you just you just got to talk to him, you know, and I never knew what that meant. I was like, you sound, yeah. you sound, that sounds crazy. That's yeah, cr- Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. When you I pray,
0: I just, it's in my head. I'm not talking. Yeah, I got like these
1: set prayers that I got to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's 12 times and then I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm forgiven. For so really? <laughs> yeah. Catholicism is a beautiful religion. I always say that, but man, is it mind numbing?
1: Yeah. So, but that's what I knew. That's exactly yeah. what I knew. So when she said things like that, I was like, Again, it didn't make sense initially to me. Yeah. I, it really it really just didn't. And uh you know, life life is funny how how, you know, the 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 trials, the tribulations, the valleys and the peaks that you reach and uh so last year I I lost my I'd say my definitely my spiritual mentor, my grandfather. Mm. You know, he he just um died. I'd say the the effects of COVID is probably what it was that um he passed was always in great shape. I mean, go to grandpa's house on the North side and he, he, a lot of times he'd be doing pull-ups in like his mid eighties. I'm like, man, that's impressive. Grandpa. Holy cow! <laughs> yeah. So dang, you know, he's, he, uh, he passed at 88, but he, but he was still up until that point in good shape. And yeah, you know, he, um, you know, will will get into all of that, but he, it, it, uh, it was a big blow to me, obviously. And I, I just was like, man, what, um, what am I going to do now? It's kind of what yeah. I started thinking, you know, and I, and then I really started thinking about my own journey as spirit, spiritually. And I was like, I, in the, in, in the Christian world, they use the term often. And I do being fed, you know, and I just didn't feel like I was being fed with that, with that particular religion to, I mean, believe me, I, I've got a lot of spiritual mentors that, that, that's again, I think it's a beautiful thing and can be, it's very true. The traditions yeah. of it all, um, so it's again, I don't I want to preface by saying I'm not that's this is no bash on any one religion. I just felt like for me, it wasn't it wasn't reaching me. And if it wasn't reaching me, what was it doing for my my own spouse and my children? And so I just made the, the decision um, and I had some mentors in that in that realm that kind of just showed me, you know, here, here's where I go. This is what we do, that type of thing. And so I reached out, started going to a church that was recommended to me and, and loved it right off the bat you know you hear stories of guys saying man it felt like the the pastor was just talking immediately to me yeah and that's what it felt like like just arrows just getting shot into me man like boom that one hit that one hit and um that's that's where you know through through some obedience and learning what it is to have a relationship with Christ was uh that's where this men's fellowship thing popped up and uh like you said it was it's been a little over a year ago now i think i yeah. think um i want to say the last the first meeting we had was and I, again, I had no clue. I mean, I really didn't like, what's this going to be? I was just, I just was knowing that there was number one, a need with our, in our police department for it. And I'd say for every police department, you know, yeah. It, I think how do you, again, it's it gets back to communication. How do you, how do you, how do you uh, expect somebody to know you and you to know them unless you're, unless you're talking, you're getting to know them, genuineness. I, I think too, though, a big thing is, what I've learned in my own journey is, is humility, you know, swallowing pride. We as alpha cops, we don't want to, we don't want to admit to anybody when we have a problem. Yeah. Um, but I've learned that if you got the right group of men or women around you, in this case, I just, I, I kind of, you know, I just thought it'd be best to start it as, as a men's fellowship, but I, I do agree. And I would be more than willing to help any female on our police department to kind of show them, look, there's no, I don't have any great how-to or some great blueprint on how to do this. I can just tell you how through my relationship with him, I, w- I was prompted to start this. And now that I've started it, I know it's helped me a ton. And I think if you polled the audience, if you asked, uh, I think we're up to almost 40 guys that attend. And, you know, we're all, and, and I do it at a time that's not always most convenient for yeah you know, our jobs. Sure. I,
0: miss, I miss most of the meetings. I yeah. Haven't i'm working you know yeah. it's hard but
1: but i'm trying to do it at a time you know get uh come come during your lunch hour yeah you know and and just sit and i, I think that each and every time and you know i'm there for almost everyone. i think i've only missed one or two because of vacation yeah. or something like that but uh i i can all i can say i always get something from it and the feedback that i have received has been awesome yeah um you know and i i think i can learn a lot from what you've done with with your podcast on on how to help grow it and you've already gave me some ideas out of the room on what what could be done to uh yeah kind of expand on it but what's the goal for it is is to to set those roots deep enough to where if i do leave in 2024 that the next man up can yeah. can can guide it and uh it's really just it's really just being it's teaching guys like my wife kind of taught me uh, what it was to have that relationship. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's nothing wrong. Like, I mean, 10 weeks ago I decided to stop drinking, but that, that was from a, I was getting up and going to work every day at 4. AM to, to be there for five, five thirty roll call. Yeah. And, uh, it was just, there's, you can get, you can gain a lot. There's a lot, you can get a lot of clarity when it's just you, you know, you yeah. and the road, you and him. And I, and i oftentimes rarely had my radio on and uh he just told me in a conversation you know that um he said if you if you want a commitment from me rick you i need to see that you're committed um so for me what that meant was yeah i get it cuz you can't i can't guide men mentor men if i'm if they see me frank the tank in it honestly, yeah. you know yeah, through Facebook or even in person or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, you know, and, and then trying to help them with their own issues. Yeah. So I think during a time frame that, and whoever, however long I, but I, I mean, in a perfect world, this is, it, it might be something, it could, it could be while I'm still here too, you know, some guy could come along and like, man, I'm feeling something. Do you, you want to take this? To, here's the baton, run with it. And I think that's what it is in this Christian walk that I'm now taking. Um, but, but I want people to know, I want officers to know, look, you don't have to have the same belief system as me. I, I know what it's done and I can kind of, if you care to listen or learn, I, or I can just tell you my own story and how being humble and submitted and obedient to Christ has, has changed my life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess a lot of people would have looked at me through my career and said, like you said earlier, like, oh, he's, you know, had a good career or whatever. And I have, but I I guess I started to question, do, who is, who is Rick Mendoza? What am I going to be when I leave this place? You know, I, what are my kids? What does my wife think about me? Yeah. You know? And, Cause the uh, job's going to keep going. Yeah. The job yep. will keep going. Yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll soon, soon be, they will be five digit guys, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, but, but in that, yeah, you, you get this mentorship idea. What are you hoping to mentor like what are the specific things that you had in your mind i I get the spiritual Mm -hmm. side of it but we're also talking it is still career oriented like we're trying to guide our guys internally Mm -hmm. so what was the goal there
1: i I think internally what it's what i'm trying to do is teach guys that they're or healthy habits you know healthy life habits because
0: not working bars and
1: Yeah, I mean you. you, I mean, not that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, it's just if you you have to establish and root yourself and and get and have healthy habits because if you you know it it, it's a popular thing and and our guys will we've all heard it before. Well, they'll talk about smack about their significant others and yeah, the old ball and chain and that's putting it kindly on what you hear a lot of times. Um, I think for me it was just um. I want to try to show guys healthy habits. So, I mean, I had a good buddy that is still in the penitentiary over a, a, a traffic accident that occurred while he was off duty. But you know, um, you know, he spent most of his adult life now behind bars, over the decision to to get drunk where he shouldn't have been behind the wheel, and an accident occurred. Yeah. Um, so it's just trying to show you know guys that there's other ways of doing it can you be at your own house and have a cold one or have more than one cold one? Of course
0: you can. Obviously. Yeah. Of course course you (laughs) can,
1: but it's just being, it's just being responsible responsible and having healthy habits when it comes to all that. So
0: yeah. Well, in the culture of policing, it's been, I mean, it's huge. Mm -hmm. Drinking's huge. uh, Swearing, uh, partying, um, unfaithfulness, um, all sorts of bad cultural habits in the, police world and now what do we've got we got one of the highest suicide rates we've ever seen in policing Mm -hmm. um you know you got officers constantly getting tied up for dumb stuff uh whether it's lying or whatever it is because that maybe maybe it is they don't have the guidance maybe they just need somebody that they look at that career and they're like he's made it this far he seemed you know it's like talking to the old viking you know, mm-hmm. it's nothing scarier than an old man in a, a dangerous <laughs> career field type thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but like you pointed out, there's nothing guiding. There's nothing. There's, there's zero. You, you've got people, are going, oh, what about the, the, what do they call them? Um, uh, crisis counselors and stuff like that, that that's very detached mm-hmm. and it's very, uh, you have to build a trust.
1: Yeah. You're not going to call somebody up and right. spill your guts to them that you don't even know it's a name on right. a page type of thing. So the yeah.
0: thing I like about the idea for this mentoring thing, um, you, the spiritual thing is is awesome. Mm-hmm. And there's some people that are, well, would just, we discussed this when we were actually developing the thing. I was like, that's going to turn some people off. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're able to <laughs> phrase it in a way like if that's not, we don't have to get into the spiritual side. But you can come in. And you can talk and Mm -hmm. just, you know, I, I trust Rick. So I know like if I had something, I'm going to go to Rick anyway, but knowing that there's a group of 40 plus people and you're not stuck with, you don't have to be in front of the whole group. You can say, Hey, afterwards, like you find somebody you trust. And the bigger the group gets, the more likely you're going to have somebody you've already got a rapport with inside that group. Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll say this,
1: we're, we're not going to steer away from, um, you're gonna you're gonna the bible will be opened and verses will be talked yes, about and that yes. that is definitely what we're rooted in but it doesn't mean do I want somebody who's searching or just or even if they're strongly have other beliefs i I'd rather them there and need us and be there than not yeah. to be there yeah you know so I don't want somebody's you know, belief system or, or lack thereof or whatever to keep them from coming. If they need help, it's yes. That's what this is about. It is yes. about, you know. Yeah. That's yeah, the, yeah. that's the
0: part I was trying yeah. to get people. Like if it, I don't want that to make you think like, Oh my God, it's just going to be, no, like yeah. we, we're we here for anything. Yeah. Anything. Cause so. most
1: of the time what it does is like you said, it breaks down that, that wallet that, that uncomfortableness and they're going to see somebody in that room that they connect with, and yeah. maybe that person shares a story, and like, man, my story is real similar to that. Or I'm start, I'm going through that, and I didn't know how to deal with it. I, so they they reach out offline and talk to that guy. Yeah, and yeah, so that's why I think, I mean, I'm biased, but that's why I believe it is better yeah. than, you know, just a group of name, a list of names. Like, call this person if you have trouble.
0: Yes, I, think, well. I agree. And it, you do, you got that whole fellowship going on, and you know, I like when the group shows up and we're cutting it up. Yeah. you know, just before and then, you know, afterwards, everybody's got like this refreshness to them. That's the only mm. way I can describe it. Um, most have a refreshness to them. Some, some yeah. still haven't worked it all out while they're there, but that's okay. That's part of the process.
1: One of the big things too that I have been saying lately at the meetings is it, it's like Vegas, but in a good way. Like whatever is said in there stays in there. Yeah. Because it's got to be built on trust. Yeah, And um, that, that's the main thing is that guy's got to know that they have the freedom to talk about it. That that also they can look at me and my story or some other guy. I mean, there's lieutenants in there. There's there's some fairly high ranking guys that are, that have attended, and with that, they, I think it's refreshing to for yeah. them to see that. Wow, I always thought that guy had it all together, and you know, he just shared yeah this story. And, a you rough know, right now. Yeah, and yeah. that and it's good that you know it could be a one or two year officer that's picking up a guy who's been here for 25, 30 years. Yeah,
0: you know? it's a dif- it's a different way of of therapy mm-hmm. and you know what i mean like it, for a place that we don't have a lot of options with that we are interested in mm-hmm. i think that's another thing cops they see all these options i do think that people are really trying to give cops a bunch of ways to get help these days but they're not they're just not hitting it yet mm-hmm. and this group is a way of like i think it's a uh, a way to bridge that gap with, with other officers. Now you chose to do a men's only thing. Mm-hmm. Can you get into what your thought process was for that?
1: Thought process with that is like you said, what, what do a lot of male uh, officers struggle with? And uh, you know, of course infidelity is one of those things. And so if a guy's going to come in there and share a story, I, I want that guy to be able to feel at ease with, with saying whatever he wants to say, whatever he's trying to get off of his chest and have other men to to build them up, you know, and other men to talk about just as I did have a female officer that I talked to recently that she kind of did come at me about that. Like, why isn't, you know, why don't you have females there? I was like, it, look, I, in a perfect world, we could, we could all get together. I said, but I think that's something in time that can occur. Um, yeah. but I think that I would rather right now if, it, if it's something that I, there's a need there, obviously too, um, I would love to help mentor and help you with how to get it off the ground, you know? Yeah.
0: But, but um, especially when we yeah. haven't even fully established. No. Like, yeah. I mean, we're still, still creating it in yeah. a way. So,
1: yeah. So it was uh, just that it was yeah, definitely not trying to keep my sisters out, out of it at all. <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. I thought initially starting it, it was best to keep it like that.
0: Yeah. One less complication on an already very complicated process. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, cause most of us, especially in our, profession and men in general we were prideful you yeah. know so it's i think learning how to swallow that pride and be more humble and being more open it, it's a lot easier for a man probably initially to start to learn how to do those sorts of things mm-hmm. if they're not showing a weakness
0: and yeah you know, whatever now since you've been doing this what what are the uh what are the good things you're seeing what are the negative things if there's any
1: personally i mean and i and i constantly ask for feedback i think it's. I mean, I don't want to say it's all positive, but I think it is. I mean, I haven't got really any negative feedback other than um, I think one recently I had a guy come and say that he had heard some things, So, but I haven't talked to him offline. I think what it was was that, um, you know, it. I don't think it was like somebody going and sharing a story about what was said in a meeting. Yeah. It was more of, um, I really don't know what it was, but I know he said it wasn't keeping him from coming to a meeting. where. My main thing and what I told him, I was like, "Look, everything that we talk about is confidential. Um, it's one on one. Um, and you know, my plan is to meet up with him in the recent. That's the only, you know, I, I mean, I'm talking in circles about it a little bit, but I, it's all, it's been all positive. I've, I've gotten guys that have came to me thanking me recently at a meeting when there were several guys that spoke. It was, it was all genuine and heartfelt, but they were. That's what, that's what. I think there was about eight guys that spoke that meeting yeah. and they each said, they're like, man, I just love what this group has done for me. I love what it's helping me do at my own, in my own house, you know, mm-hmm. cause that's kind of what I, that's one of the big things that I try to tell guys is like you, your spouses, your children, they're, they're going to be your best barometer for how, who you are as a man. Yeah. You know, if, uh, if you're walking into the house and your spouse or your kids are running to go get ice cream or or they're or they're going to the back movie room to avoid you or or whatever else is going on then then it's time to start kind of reflecting on why is yeah. it like this um yeah. and you know so i think it's teaching guys how to how to uh, more effectively communicate at home yeah and how to be more of a spiritual leader at home
0: yeah and the byproducts of it is what i really love is if i'm taking care of my roots which is me and my family that's going to reflect in my job. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to perform better for the community. I'm going to have a better vision. You know, I'm going to see clearer versus uh, being stressed out and and narrow minded and and not being as effective as a communicator as I can be when I get out and do my police job. Mm-hmm. So we start focusing internally first, and then we can better effectively serve the community. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 an awesome byproduct of uh, it's something that. Maybe not even was the initial intention. But. Well,
1: I think what, I mean, speaking personally on what it's helped me do, it's what you're just saying. Like I, you know, we, we joked about what I, we were going to talk about cause I'm a part-time guy. So yeah, talk about <laughs> scheduling part-times, Rick, what are we going to talk about for yeah. two hours? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll say like when, it, when I'm busy, when I'm in the middle of something like that, I have learned how to pause, you know, how to, if a guy's coming into my office it's it's worthy enough for me to set down whatever i'm doing and see what's going on like i you know yeah. don't don't shoo them away and say hey, uh Gimme give, give me like 20 minutes and yeah. all yeah so it's learning like the, the value and stuff like that it's the so not only the value there at work but obviously the value at home too i mean there's days that we all have as cops where the last thing we want to do is come home and communicate with our significant other or even our children yeah but it when we learn how to do that and how to like put ourselves aside and, and be selfless, that, that is truly the key. I mean, that, that is the key to, to life. I mean, showing love to others. I mean, that, that's, that's, it's imperative. You know, if you want to be, if you want to be known as a good person, which I think even probably your worst criminals for the most part all want to think that, you know, they're deep down a good person. Most of them are, they just have habits that cause them to commit crimes or whatever it is. I yeah. mean, I, I don't, I think there's very few people in this world that are just evil, you know? Right. Um, so I think with that said, I think it, it's just teaching guys how to, how to be selfless, you know, how to, yeah. how to, how to practice with humility, how to live life with humility. And, and I, again, it's been, it's been great. I mean, like you said, we're still, I'm still feel like a lot of times I'm flying at the seat of my pants, but, um, it's growing and yeah, I think the, the biggest thing right now is hopefully with the podcast, it'll get out to more and more of the department I've I've kind of been somewhat hands off with advertising it. Cause I I don't.
0: Yeah. It's like fight club. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, for me though, it's more of it. I think when like there's flyers for it and it just Mm -hmm. says Bible study. So I think there's probably a certain section of officers. Like they, they just, or what, you know, for whatever reason, they just, I don't need that, you know? Right. Um, I think that it's a lot deeper than that, and I think once they start to attend, they'll, they'll they'll definitely see that.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, it's um. No, I guess that wouldn't be a good idea. I was thinking of an idea. I won't even yeah. say that out loud. But um,
1: the the when bit- I I'm sorry, I gotta. Oh, I'm already getting convicted internally about what. Like when I say deeper, there is no there's no book that's better or that you'll learn more from than the Bible. But what I mean, I say deeper. I think there's just there's people that that have had bad experiences when it comes to religion or church or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I, and I also want to show that, um, that, you know, Jesus hit his mission was to show love, you know, love for our creator and love for your neighbor. Yeah. So if you know that, and that's the root of it, then hopefully in time, whatever religious or whatever has swayed people away from religion, um, this can just show them that that's, that's really not what's in that book. I mean, that book is based on love. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's some tough, tough stories in that, you know. Um, But with, with that said, I, yeah, it's going to be rooted from that. Cause Rick isn't like, if it. I'll say this, if it was up to Rick and Rick starting this thing, I wouldn't have never done it. Cause I, there's a lot of, you know, I've got three kids, I've got a wife, I've got, you know, a lot of different things that I'm responsible for. I didn't necessarily have the time to do it, but it, but it's the best decision, you know, despite marrying my beautiful wife, it's the best, it's the, it's one of the better, I'd say, if not the best at the top of the list, life decisions I've made. Really? Is is to
0: start it. That's awesome. Yeah. Nice. Uh, right now, the, the way that the group's going, it's, it's getting bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, it's spreading. Hopefully, like you said, people will watch this and decide to give it a try. Mm -hmm. Um, Worst that happens is it's not for you. Yeah. That's the worst that happens. Um, But I think once you start getting into the, the brotherhood part of it, um, that is where the thin blue line comes in for me. That's, that's the way I look at the thin blue. line. I don't think of it as a, where that, you know, that whole, I don't know how to put it, that that aggressive, aggressive military mindset uh, of, we're that wall between the bad that's out there. Like, mm-hmm. I don't look at it like that. I look at the thin blue line as taking care of each other. Like the, the way that we do. Cause if you fall in the line of duty, your family's not going to want for anything other than you. Mm-hmm. But cause us, your brothers and sisters, we're going to make sure that, you know, that kid goes to prom and he gives these, kid gets you know, your kid has a car or whatever it is for driver's license your wife's taken care of on the anniversary and stuff. Somebody's going to be there. If she chooses to have somebody there with her, you know, just make sure that they're okay. Mm-hmm. Like that will carry on for the rest of their life after you fall in the line of duty. But it continues. The Thimble line continues. When I say, we also do what you got started here. We're taking care of each other mm-hmm. like that. That's where well, the way so where I, I
1: think it picks up that, you know, our brotherhood, um, they've done an excellent job. I mean, they, the fundraisers, the money raised, uh, the partnerships they've made with, you know, 22 kill other organizations like that phenomenal in the work that they do. Um, you talked about having Jimmy on here and, you know, Jim, Jimmy's yeah. awesome at what he does. Um, I think what this does that's different, um, is that it, it's on a more personal level, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, it's not, we're not going to be able to raise the amounts of money that the that the brotherhood can or other oh, organizations yeah, can, but I think yeah. where it's, pro- it's definitely, our, I'd say more valuable. It's, it's what it's going to do for that person in their daily walk. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, because yeah. it doesn't always in theory. I mean, what I'd hope to avoid and, you know, we, um, is that it, it, it doesn't lead to guys don't lose their careers because they're leaning on something too heavy or, you know, they don't get divorced because of the issues that, you know, they, we all struggle with, and that mm-hmm. that's a big thing. I mean, it. I think men in there admitting to their own weaknesses, it's there's, there's a lot of power in that. Yeah. You know, absolutely. You know, I, I think that's where other guys can see, like, I don't have this persona that I think I have to have while on the job. I, I don't have to be that same guy when I get home. You know, I don't, Yeah, you know, you can share things with your spouse and be considerate of how you do it, you know, and still not want to give, all the details, all the ugly details of some of these things that we deal with. Yeah. But you can still do it where that, where that other person mm-hmm. knows that you, that you care enough about them to share some stuff with them. Yeah. But you're also protecting them with what you're not sharing with them. Yeah.
0: Cause you know? we cops do that all the time. We'll, we'll talk job shop talk all the time with another cop, but we don't tell our spouses any of that stuff. And then if they happen to cut you and I are sitting here BSing, and then she happens over here like what? Like you <laughs> never told me any of that. And then That causes rifts. That causes problems. That cascades down. And uh, I've shared with our group and on the podcast many times. I've always taken the opposite approach. I tell her everything, Mm -hmm. and if she wants the details, I give her the details. If she doesn't, you know, she'll tell me. You know, and
1: I'd say you're you're probably a rarity, though.
0: It it is, yeah. yeah. But I had the benefit of seeing my dad's career. Not that he was one of the problem people, but all his friends and stuff like. God, these all, they're all in like their third marriages or mm-hmm. constantly in the doghouse and doing, I was just like, I don't want that. I don't want that to be my life in a career that I like, mm-hmm. you know, and so I just kind of figured out what I've seen people doing different or, or, or all doing the same. And I was like, is there a different way to do it? So mm-hmm. sharing was obviously one of the things that I decided to do. And I continue to share through our group. So mm-hmm. I, I like talking about, What's on my heart, what's on my mind, and it makes yeah. me it's a refresher. That's the way I look at it. I, when we get done with our group, shoot, that carries me for the rest of the week.
1: Yeah, and I would just hope that what it's also teaching guys is that beyond this job, you know, we want to buy we we want to be identified by a lot more than, you know, on our gravestones. They don't just want to be, that was a great cop. You know, Yeah. That's it. <laughs> you yeah. Know, like that's where yeah. it ends. You know, you, right. you wanna you wanna be able to, you know, have have built like like friendships. Like, you know, that guy, he was what he was as a cop, but more than that, you know, he was just a, he was a good person. He cared about other people. And, uh, especially when I, again, I keep pointing that way, but that's where our spouses are, you know, like you you also want to, you just want to, you want, you want them to, it's good to know that, Hey, I was a good dad. I was a good husband. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's always things we can do to be better. And so that's the thing. Like I want guys to know that maybe if you're not there, it doesn't mean that, again, you're not going to be judged in that group, in that fellowship group. Because no. it ain't like all, any of us are going to have trophies for being, you know, dad of a lifetime, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> Husband of a lifetime. We all have our weaknesses and our flaws. And so that's, I believe, again, that's where the power is, is to know that, yeah, this guy's, you know, messed up like a soup sandwich and gone <laughs> through all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but again, he, he's able to admit it. He's humble enough to admit it. And we all, I think, learn from it. And so, I, I, if anything, guys, like or and girls, because again, I, I do have, I do want to help. You know, female officers, whoever that person is, if you're out there and you watch this, that reach out to us because I, I think between me and the guys that are already part of this, we can tell you how it, we started it. You know, the the learning. Uh, gr- the I mean, there was a period of time where, um, pretty early on in it, I I almost I almost wanted to shut it down because I. Cause You know you start getting into your own feelings like man, nobody's showing up. there's this yeah
0: you know? <laughs> yeah,
1: um but it but again i i it was good that I had guys around me that's like, man, this is helping me, this is yeah. you know, so again it's that's, some it's, sometimes it's, you just it helps need, man you yeah. just need that you just need that one guy, I mean you really do if it's just me and you talking, I mean, it's good to talk to you, I feel great talking about it right now with you, yeah you know
0: yeah i i i find I find a lot of correlations in just doing the podcast cause mm-hmm. you know cops are our biggest uh, hypocrite or hypocrites, uh, critics. That's what mm-hmm. I meant to say. And I was so nervous about what peers were going to say. I was so nervous about, um, people not watching or listening. I was like, you know, it, it, a part of me kept telling myself you're doing this cause you want to do it. And I did, I did want to do it. And I thought it was a good idea. But then like you said, I started getting in my own head. I'm like, I'm looking I wasn't much of a numbers guy, but somebody asked me, like, how many listeners do you have? And I was like, well, maybe I should look. And I look and I'm like, well, like, (laughs) that's not very good. (laughs) And I'm comparing myself to the worst person possible, Joe Rogan, who's Uh the number one dude. And I'm like, he's got like 4 million and I got 20, you know, and 15 of those are my mom. (laughs) 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 So. Yeah, you do. I was the same way. I got to a point and I started putting money into it, and I was like, "She gave me like a little bit of leeway, like two grand," and mm-hmm. I was already going crazy. But I believed in the the reason. I mm-hmm. knew there was a good cause behind it. And same with the group. Like, mm-hmm. I, I totally understand the that feeling of like, man, I should like this isn't going how I was hoping mm-hmm. it would go.
1: Well, I think we stick again, with man. We we have these visions of grandeur, you know. Like, and I, yeah. I right away, I was thinking, oh, we're gonna have like kind of what the brotherhood does, like these big events, yeah. these, these big camp outs and you know all yeah. this type of stuff. And I think that going back to why it was males and females, because originally I was thinking, oh, when we do these camping things, like do uh, outings, yeah, yeah, we don't need the distraction of,
0: yeah, you know of all
1: that. So, yeah. uh, um. So that was another factor early on. But when I realized it's really not about that and, you know, we may never have anything like that. And and that's cool if we don't, um, because I really think I've, I've, I've see the niche and the need for it. I see where it's fitting in yeah, and it's, um, it's a great thing. I mean, I've, I, I call guys all the time to try to get feedback on what, you, what do you think, you know, is it going, you know, and again, I, it's been all positive. So yeah. even that one little thing, I don't, I wouldn't even call that a negative. It was just, um, I just want the guy had never been to a meeting, so I didn't want his mind getting swayed one way or the other, not having attended a meeting before. Yeah. yeah. You know? So yeah. That, that, that
0: makes happens. sense. Yeah. All right. So from here you got, you, you've got, you know, some time, are you going to do the whole drop the whole five years?
1: Still kind of up in the air with that. Okay. You know, I, uh, I still enjoy the job. I really do. Yeah. Um, I uh, I got into a community position again. Still a sergeant, but it's a it's a neighborhood. It's an NPO spot. So oh, did you? Yeah.
0: What side of town? North. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. So that's like two extremes: the south side, <laughs> yeah. old sector versus <laughs> yeah. what's called Hollywood up there. Yeah, yeah um, it's a
0: little slower, slower paced life. Yeah, and the
1: building itself. I mean, uh, night and day. But yeah. they are building a new south. South uh, division. That,
0: that's true. Yeah. Yep. So you, let's say you let's just hypothetically you do your five years in the drop. um What what's your goals for the mentoring and what's your goals for your career?
1: Um. So that's gonna it's gonna sh- it's gonna go back to the spiritual side, but for me, it's really it's really goes back to that relationship talk that I've said, and I don't know where you know because a guy told me recently, you're, you're a minister now. And, uh, I didn't ever really look at it like that. Um, I was like that. I'm just getting guys together and we're just having conversations. Um, so could that mean that I don't do the drop and I do something like that, a discipleship, a ministry, if you will, um, beyond and after I leave this job, does my new role as a, as an NPO, give me the freedom and ability to meet some people which it probably will that that are in that that realm um and could it lead to something else yeah i mean i'm just keeping all doors open at this point i don't know where it's going to lead me i just know that i will say because of my relationship again with christ i i'm in a better position i feel better internally um and you know i'm not going to get in i knew i was going to talk about any of this but there's been some stuff in my own career that's happened in this last year where if my head wasn't right, I I could have been all over the place, yeah, you know? Yeah. Put um, your own
0: foot in your mouth or, yeah, all yeah, sorts of things. All
1: sorts of things. So yeah. it's because of this relationship that I now have with our creator that I'm going to, I don't, and it, sometimes it feels like I'm flying by the seat of my pants, you know? Yeah. But that, this whole, like, the peace and the joy and the happiness and the, and the love, I really, I mean, I can, people can do me wrong now, and I, whereas, like, we'd sit and have coffee or even adult beverages, my spouse and I, and maybe, maybe get on a rant, you know, where we're just feeding off each other. Yeah. Now it's like, I I like pull the e-brake internally on myself so quick. And it's like, I don't know. All I'm saying is that I feel really good now internally. And I, I don't know. I mean, but I like not knowing if that makes sense. I -hmm. I like not knowing where the future leads.
0: You're comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I mean, and a lot of people will, that will make uh those that are not right with themselves jealous. A lot mm-hmm. of times I found. Like they they don't they don't they they want to ruin your peace because you have peace. Yeah. Yeah. So um that's yeah, why I think
1: I, I I mean I'll say this cuz it was it just you said that and it made me think about <laughs> that something that I recently posted. It just said um uh sorry, one second. Just said worry in doesn't take away t- tomorrow's troubles. It takes away today's peace you know? mm-hmm. so it i think it, you know that's one of the big things is um i want to show guys how you can get peace yeah you know because i think in our profession it can be robbed and taken from you easily easily <laughs> yeah
0: yeah so easily yep you're right but all right brother you got anything else you want to hit on
1: i don't know no, i hope we get some viewers on it i mean it's not it's not, uh, well, probably be, as entertaining as, as
0: <laughs> a good looking guy like you, it's not going to be hard to get some viewers. Oh <laughs> uh, no, yeah. We'll get some people on this one, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Especially, uh, is, is many people that, uh, look up to you and follow you. Um, I'm sure they will we'll at least get that crowd on there too. So share uh, it around the interwebs and all so.
1: I'll say is, I mean, I, I truly do mean it. If there's anybody that, you know, even out of curiosity, if if they want to come to this group, I really believe that you're going to get, they'll get something from it. Um, And even if one of my, my sisters in this brotherhood would want to join, I, I'm not going to, the door's not shut on anyone, you know, just yeah. because it says it's a men's fellowship. I, I'm, I'm encouraging any and everyone to, to attend. And that even includes civilians. I mean, I wouldn't be against that. You know, I mean, we've got, yeah um it you know, it the doors are open is all I'm saying. Yeah. And if, somebody wants to attend it's we have it at our poa building um and it's every wednesday at noon um and we do it the very the very first thursday of the month it's at ten thirty a.m okay so
0: all right bro well i appreciate it Good thank stuff. you hey. yeah yeah <laughs>